this is very funny now because we have Yemen <laughs> teaching the Israelis, giving them a taste of their own medicine. You want to blockade Gaza? We'll blockade you. And not just you, we're going to blockade all your friends. Screw you. You, you. Screw all of you. None of you are coming through here. This is our land. We will fire on you till you learn your goddamn lesson. You want to keep starving Palestinians? You want to deprive them of medicine? You want to kill them? Okay. We're going to make sure you pay for it. And you pay very, very dearly. We're going to teach you a goddamn lesson you will never forget. The Yemen have so many problems they haven't even recovered from. Uh, and nevertheless, they take the time and they make the effort to, to stand up for the Palestinians. Which really says something. Because these Arab countries around them, surround, surrounding Yemen, that, you know, that are neighboring Yemen, they don't have these problems. They are very rich. You know, they, they are um, very wealthy. And they could easily do what Yemen is doing times 10 even, you know, but th there's no will to do it from the leadership because they are stooges. This is the sad fact. Welcome to What's Left, the weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with Cocos, teaching socialist and the Lipson and uh, socialist Kenny Cepeda. We're online at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find that link to our site in the episode notes where we find this episode. Uh, you can also find our personal social media handles as, well, mine, at Don Eduardo Barca on Instagram. And uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications and share your favorite episode where we found this episode. Thank you. All right. So today's topic will be discussing the Houthis at the Red Sea uh, and the relationship to Palestine. Uh, did you, any of you want to say any further uh, comment to, to the topic? No, just that um, I kept on saying to you, Kenny, you and Eduardo, like, I want to talk about the Houthis in the Red Sea. Um, and I just want to tell our audience, we're not experts, um, but I, we, I wanted to use this episode as a chance to kind of learn a little bit more about about this group, about Yemen, Yemen about what's going on in the Red Sea. And so um, hopefully most of what we say is right. Um, if people hear, feel differently or think differently, let us know. Right. And then, of course, it's also just talking about the a, a regional a regional group that's challenging the U.S. empire, you know, and what's going on there. Because that I think that's very important, and it's in response to what's going on in it, what Israel is doing to Gaza and the Palestinians. Yeah, just want to add that um, we kind of mentioned the Houthis uh, when you know the Israeli uh, bombardment started started post October seventh, but I, I didn't make much of it honestly. I didn't. I thought it was more of a symbolic, um, you know, gesture to declare, you know their support for because i think they declared war right at, at the beginning against israel yeah they didn't make much of it i thought it was just like a publicity stunt but obviously there is a lot more to that now um and it's very important i think to make sense of it and and just like you i'm not an expert uh this was a learning experience of piecing together other things that i knew that have happened because I think we're going to find ourselves digging back, you know, and kind of maybe giving an overview of certain, you know, issues of, you know, that might shed some light onto this and, and try to make sense of, you know, where this may head. Um, okay. So, Andy, you, you decided to do, you decided to, 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 to revisit 
the this conflict, but with the perspective on the Houthis at the Red Sea. Uh, why did you think it was important? Well, um, like like Kenny, I remember hearing, and I've forgotten. So that that um, that the that even either a military commander of the Houthis had come forward and had declared war on mm -hmm. Israel as a result of their attack on Gaza when they went into Gaza. Um, and that was early November, um, or rather, maybe that was even earlier than that. But through, throughout, starting in early November, they have been launching um, drone attacks, um, various and, and, and aer aerial attacks where they board planes, I mean, where they board ships and take them over, um, basically really harassing um, uh, um, ships coming through the Strait of or Bob Al Mendeb Strait, um, which I think we should probably go over some of the region, some of these regions uh, on a on a map, um, and have made it so that a major shipping area through the Red Sea, in and out, um, and well, predominantly in the ones going to Israel, has been restricted, and they've now cut up, cut off like thirty percent of the flow of goods into that region. Um, and it has really proven a problem for the for for the United States. Um, and I've I've been surprised at how at how much it's kind of put the U.S. on on a back foot. The U.S. is bringing ships into the Red Sea. Uh, they have two carrier groups there and destroyers as well. They all follow along with it. But the U.S. has been like, "We're going to get you," you know, "We're going to get you." Um, and then they they even said it said it today. They said, "Look, we're, we're, we're this is our you know we're warning you again." And they got some of the other countries to that are in the UN to, uh, you know, go with their warning, um, particularly their Western allies. And the Houthis immediately, pretty much hours later, responded with sending the first, what was called a surface vehicle, unmanned surface vehicle, which is basically a, an unmanned boat, which is being sent towards another ship and then it blows up. Now this thing never did any damage. It blew up far away from any target, but it it shows a lot of defiance by a, by a group that I did not know was this military like I know about Hezbollah, I know about Hamas. I did not know about this Houthi group um, as a potential military problem for for U.S. proxies in the region, um, and so it was it was really surprising to me. And so I wanted to talk about it. And of course, it also to me indicates prospects and the the, the fact that this, in my opinion, is a growing war. You know, it's it's bringing in more actors. Um, and I think that's always a that's always troubling, but I think we have to. I, I, I want to talk about it, and I want to say what I think it means. Just, mm. just to add that you know this boat that you mentioned, um, like what I understand is that the Houthis have been focused on Israel-bound ships, right? Yeah. And the most recent uh, uh, attack that you mentioned was a, a boat that was heading towards a U.S. Uh, ship, and then it blew up before it made contact. But again, it, it, that deviates a little bit because they've been focusing on Israel-bound stuff. Uh, they haven't, you know, but it, so it, it is like an escalation of defiance against the U.S. who uh, is trying to make a coalition of nations to address this issue on a very important shipping lane that brings not only goods to Israel, but also to, like you said, through the Suez Canal to Europe. And it, it's a big part of the global economy. Um, and so in the Houthis, um, they're not, the Yemen itself is not, is one of the, is the poorest country in the region, I believe. Um, and until recently, uh, 
they've been they were engaged in conflict with Saudi Arabia. They were blockaded in there was a massive humanitarian situation there because the Saudis, along with U.S. support, uh, you know, in intelligence, weapons, and all this, had blockaded uh, uh, Yemen and the Houthis uh, being one of the most important groups in the country um, militarily, uh, were able to fight back the Saudis, you know, and because I think that's something that is not very spoken, you know, that that the, the and in fact, it's people who say that the Houthis were able to defeat Saudi Arabia um, mm -hmm. because uh, they pushed them back and they started using some of the technology that they're using right now, drones, because th there is a disproportionate um, relationship here in terms of technology and weapons, right? Like the the U.S. is is touting its carriers and ships, um, and the Houthis have been able to do this, uh, in, in, which in effect is an embargo on Israel. Um, with a lot less technology, a lot less resources, and they are facing a massive problem. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything or. I mean, just that to talk about what's happening today takes us back to talking about Yemen. And we know that the U.S. has been involved with Saudi Arabia in fighting a civil war and, and taking sides on that civil war in Yemen. And Saudi Arabia was backing the the so-called the government that was recognized, but the Houthis are part of are are part of a uh, one of the most powerful sections of, of factions within Yemen who have not been happy, who, who are not happy with the corruption in the government, who are not happy with the fact that the government is so connected to Saudi Arabia and so connected to the West, um, and so connected to Israel, um, and so there are there has been opposition, and so this civil war that you've been hearing about in Yemen has has the Houthis have been have played a par prominent role in in fighting on one side of that. And, and of course, people are talking about Iran as helping supply the Houthis. Um, and, and, and so there's, it's proxies on all sides as it's being discussed. Um, the Saudi Arabia being a proxy for the United States, but also supporting the, 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 the government there and the Houthis and others fighting against the corruption of that government and Iran apparently helping uh, arm them. Um, now, mind you, recently there was a, an agreement reached between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and many people had hoped and believed that it would lead to the end of the civil war um, in Yemen. I, I don't know if that's the case, but it's been interesting to me that that this event, that the Houthis should be so aggressive in the in the face of that agreement between Saudi Arabia and and um, uh, and Iran, and that to me, as far as I can tell, Saudi Arabia has been fairly silent about this. And has not spoken against it. Um, so I feel like that agreement that was reached between Saudi Arabia and 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 Iran, which was helped, which that agreement was helped by by China, I do feel fat figures into what the Houthis are doing right now, um, because I feel like space has been opened for Houthi the Houthis to act. And I and I personally do believe Iran is playing is is also a player in this game. I mean, the other thing, too, is that the Houthi rebels model themselves um, on the Shia armed group in Lebanon. So there's also the there's also there's also a thought that they're backed with weapons and training by um, Hezbollah. I've been providing them with military expertise and training since 2014. Um, and 
Yeah, I don't I don't know if 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 that negotiation between Iran and Saudi Arabia would that has lessened or or discreetly made them secretly support um the the or the Houthis. That's also a question I had in mind when when you brought that up, Andy. Um, and even though Iran has come out and denied that they have any involvement in the attacks at the Red Sea, uh, you know the Houthis don't deny it at all. And there's drone footage. If anyone wants to see it, maybe we might include it here. You know that on you can just go on YouTube and look at it, where people uh, where you can see the Houthis uh, uh, hijacking and hijacking uh, one of the vessel ships, where I think it was a European vessel, but uh, managed by Japanese. Mm. I think it was being, they were, they were the ones uh, maneuvering the, the vessel, but I'm not, I'm not too sure on that one. Anyhow, and they, and they, they're not denying anything about it. They're, they're very proudly out saying it, that they are the ones hijacking these vessels or, or uh, throwing these missiles, which haven't caused damage because Israel did their own airstrike. Uh, <clears throat> And they placed uh, the Palestinian flag and the Yemeni, the Yemeni uh, flag on the, the vessel that they hijacked. Uh, people can go look at that. I will provide it here. Yeah, and I think they brought the vessel into a, a Yemen port, and they have the crew there. They're held hostage. Um, and so this is a this is one of the things that the U.S. is saying. It's like we want those that ship released. We want you to stop your terror on the seas. Um, and that was a, a statement that the U.S. has made in conjunction with its normal allies of the France and Britain and Japan. There's a, f- a few others. Um, the interesting thing is, is though, when the U.S. was trying to mobilize ships into that region under what's called Operation Prosperity Guardian, um, the only country that I think has delivered any ships is Britain. Um, like other countries, yeah, we'll sign on or hesitated even, but if they sent anything, all they sent were some people. Um, they were, they weren't sending ships. And I, again, I think this is where I feel like, um, the U S the U S challenging the Houthis in that region, which in their, I think their understanding is taking on the Houthis means taking on Iran. I think Europe knows that this, this is going to lead to a conflict with Iran and they don't want to be drawn into it. That's my, that's my opinion of why they're so reluctant to, to support the U.S. military militarily, because even when uh, Lloyd Austin proposed Operation Prosperity Guardian, he pretty much straight out said that this is a movement. This is not just a move against the Houthis. This is really a challenge against Iran's backing of terror groups, um, and we're going to challenge. We're going to take on Iran, and, and there are people in the U.S. government who feel like the U.S. is wasting its time fighting the Houthis and should go straight for Iran and attack them. Yeah, and I think it's important to mention that at least that I understand that Saudi Arabia is not part of this coalition to try to, you know, that control this damage or this threat of the Yemeni. And one argument that I've heard in different channels, you know, uh, is that it goes back to the Houthis beating back the Saudi the Saudis in their in that conflict because. Uh, yeah, the Saudis have you know an embargo, but then the Houthis started attacking through drones some of their oil infrastructure, which is you know a sign of their wealth, and you know, and so that's one reason that Saudi Arabia might hesitate to you know join this uh, exercise in policing that area, 
And the other thing that uh, Garland Nixon makes this uh, argument that, you know, why the hesitation of like other European countries, even the US in actually doing something significant like invading, you know, Yemen, which obviously takes, we're bombing Yemen. This is the limiting the escalation of this issue because uh, he talks about insurance for these ships that have to go through this passage. And so Garland Nixon argues that uh, insurance companies don't pay out during war time, you know? And, and so if there is war declared there, the shipping companies are not gonna wanna take a risk and go through there. They're gonna have to go around the Horn of Africa and the cost of that is immense. And so any escalation you know, of, 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 of war affects commerce you know, through that region. Um, in, in, to me, it makes sense because the Houthis are leveraging, you know, in in being very bold, you know, for a country that you'll get destroyed, you know, if the U.S. and Western allies were to just bomb the shit out of it. But obviously that would signify that there's an escalation and a profound uh, effect on the commerce in the world economy. And I think this may be the point where we talk about the geography of, of the area. I don't know if you... I think that's a good idea. You want no. me to do a little background then on that? Please. Yeah. Please, I mean, I'll, I'll also just say that I have, it seems to me that as Saudi Arabia moves closer to China, moves, gets more closer to things, the institutions like BRICS, I feel like Saudi Arabia's actions here are more a result of silence in relationship to, you know, they're, they're less taking U.S. sides in, in, in all these Middle Eastern affairs um, as they did in the last decade. Um, so I feel like to me, it's, it's more, it's not to me, what Saudi Arabia is doing is not less about how they're concerned about the Houthis and more that they're, they're increasingly politically aligning themselves with the unaligned nations. And then with the, the other pole that's building around China and Russia, that's, that's my opinion. Um, but let's, let's take a look at just, so at least let people can know what we're talking about in terms of the region, because this was confusing for me and, and confusing for Brandy. So, we should. So people often hear about the Persian Gulf. That's the, the region over here. And again, I'm sorry for people who are just listening, but it's, you know, this is what we're doing. Um, and that's what abuts Iran and bet it's between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And we've you've heard a lot about the, the Strait of Hormuz. And that that is the region right here, which goes from the Persian Gulf to the Gulf of Oman out here. Um, and this is where that um, the Strait of Hormuz was where that uh, that drone was shot down by Iran. Um, and that U.S. was was getting really pissed about that. Um, but the region that we're looking at is all the way out in the Arabian Sea, back here, the Gulf of uh, Gulf of Aden. Um, but the region we're looking at is down here with Yemen, which is called Bob Bob El Mendeb Strait. Um, and this is the region that is being attacked by um, the Houthis with drones and with other sort and with uh, helicopters coming in and and and, and seizing ships. That's right here. And that leads into the Red Sea, which is right here. Um, and the Red Sea then leads to the, the Suez Canal right up here. I guess this is the Suez and this is the Suez Canal up here, which is a very important um, feature for shipping. Um, and again, one of the claims that has been made is that actually, uh, and this I heard this by Richard Medhurst, that Israel in going after the, in going after the, um, uh, going after the Pal after Palestine and Gaza in particular was doing that to build its own uh, canal 
uh, through Israel, through Palestine, um, into the Red Sea, so it wouldn't have to rely on the Suez Canal. Um, so that's part one. And, and that, of course, that leads out to the Mediterranean Sea out here. Um, and the other thing I wanted to show is um, just a, a map of Yemen. Um, and the, this is Yemen. Here's the, right here is the Bab al-Mendeb Strait. Um, and then the capital is Sana'a. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But the region that the Houthis are coming out of is, I often hear it as Sada'a, uh, is over here and up in northern um, Yemen, which abuts Saudi Arabia. Um, and they have pretty much control of this region, uh, military control and governmental control. Um, and a lot of the, the civil war and the political struggles were fought in the capital um, in which, you know, uh, I think actually a former president was killed there. Um, so I think that's mostly it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to sh say is that the U.S. has broken up into um, various central, com various command structures. And this region is called the U.S. CENTCOM. Um, and this is basically, I mean, it's the U.S. is an empire. So it's broken the globe up into various command centers uh, around the globe. And the region we're looking at is the U.S. CENTCOM, which is literally this whole area I've been talking about. So I just wanted to say that. I, I, I just wanted to add that, again, emphasize, like, that is a massive shipping lane, you know, that, that goes through that region. And so that, uh, this, this trade of, uh, how do you pronounce it? Bob Almendip Strait. Yeah, it, it's, it's super important. It's a choke point uh, for a big part of the global economy, you know, stuff coming from China, from India, you know, from Southeast Asia, um, you know, basically the factory of the world, right? Coming through that to places like Europe and, you know, um, and even the, you know, the, the uh, stuff coming, the oil, I imagine, coming from the Persian Gulf has to go around there through that region, right, to Europe? Uh, so I guess, well, to get it to it cheaply, like, let's zoom out here, because what you're, you're, what you're saying is that if you don't go through here, uh, then, then what you got to do is you, you have to skip all this whole straight, this uh, Bob El-Mendeb straight. You've got to go all the way, look at this. You've got to go all the way around the Horn of Africa here. And then all the way around here and come into Europe that way. So that's way more distance, a lot more expensive. Um, and that's what the Houthis are counting on here. I mean, it might be useful to also to explain that Africa is always misrepresented. So it's way more massive than it is on this map. So it is a massive distance that, that they would have to cover. And the cost of things, you know, just skyrocket for, for many, you know. And I think that. It's interesting to me that the if that strait was to be shut off, uh, one of the the regions that would be firstly affected would be Europe, right? In the context of having blown the pipeline uh, between Germany and and Russia, you know that supplied cheap gas right uh, to Europe, and this affected uh, a lot of European countries, especially Germany, and during winter time, a potential like conflict that. Or an you know, or disruption, further disruption of the shipping lanes, puts Europe in a bigger, uh, yeah. you know, and and I think that it's it's there's something there to to think about because you know Europe has been messed with the U.S. 
blew up a pipeline, right? Like in that that's the gave them cheap oil. And so they're willing to put them on the line. And that's a good point. I mean, that's another reason why Europe may not be jumping on Operation Prosperity Guardian. They don't want to be known uh, as as really militarily, so militarily siding with this, um, where the Houthis and potentially Iran can take even more aggressive steps to shut down oil that's going to them. That's a really good point because that may be another reason. I talk. I thought about it was it was just like you the Europe's reluctance to join because since I saw this action as U.S. ultimately trying to push towards a war with Iran, um, I I saw it as the Europe trying to put the brakes on that. But I could also see it as very much like, oh my gosh, we've already gotten one oil source cut down, and and it's hurt our hurt hurt our industry. Now, if we get really involved in this, yes, the war escalates, and we're on the hook for taking sides on this thing. And that could be, that could be very economically damaging. So that's a good point. And it's sorry to, this is my last point about this. I, I agree with the statement you made earlier that Saudi Arabia might be watching, you know, and be reluctant to participate is not only the Houthis, I do think that's part of it. Um, but Saudi Arabia is like playing their game, like to see, to playing their cards for, you know, the winner over here, they're, they're you know, in, so they have a half-ass commitment to the U.S., but they're also watching on the other side, right? Like they they were accept they were uh, did weren't they considering the no longer accepting uh, dollars as the only currency for petroleum exchange in the global market? Yeah, and that might have some you know effect on on the U.S. currency. But I think all those things are in play. Like Saudi Arabia is watching, you know, and to see what happens, and you know, like any smart country, just you know, putting chips everywhere, you know, to see what happens in this conflict. You know, Saudi Arabia has more in common with Palestinians than they do with Israel. But, you know, it's all going to be more of um, a political game of which power they wish to align themselves with. You know, I kind of thought, what would the Muslim countries surrounding Israel would do with the attack on Gaza? And the only ones I feel really showed up was Lebanon, you know. And I'm just talking about the region and, and the most powerful countries around there. That's what comes to mind for me. Uh, and yeah, that, that's what I was going to say about that. Saudi Arabia. Um, and I would agree with that. I would, but I, and I would say the Houthis have, have kind of embarrassed the other, except for maybe Hezbollah, um, which has played a little bit more of a role. All the other countries have just been talk, like Erdogan and Turkey and the, the President Jordan. You know, all of them have made statements about how bad this is. Um, but one of the things that Richard Methurst said, um, e Egypt is really upset about what's happening there and won't take the Palestinians in. Um, but he's like, well, why don't they shut down the Suez Canal? It's their canal. They could shut it down or, or at least shut it down to Israeli goods. And they don't do it. And he goes to the Houthis. Which are much, you know, obviously much less powerful and much less known, have taken more steps to do something here than than the, the, the government of Egypt. Um, so I think it's been even as they're trying to engage in their own war against Saudi Arabia. You know, it's trying to manage their the civil war that's happening in their own country. Yeah, but and, I, and the only thing is, I don't know how active that civil war is right now. 
Right. The, well, the I mean, even just that, and then showing the support for Palestine is what I'm trying to say. It's just yeah. how active it is or isn't. They are showing true solidarity is uh, in in their in their on the in their stance. Go ahead, Kim. Sorry. I personally have my questions about solidarity uh, because a lot of you know these countries, like fellow Muslim countries, have like forsaken Palestine. You know, until Hamas did this, you know, action that kind mm-hmm. of put the hand. And, you know, the question that I have, you know, maybe for the two of you, I'm trying to answer, you know, like, what do the Houthis get out of this? <laughs> like, because I don't see the world working on like, oh, we we're going to go to fight in Peru or a whole population at risk for solidarity. You know, I don't think that's how the world works. And, and so, you know, and the thing that we keep talking about is that the world is changing. You know, the, the U.S. is on its heels. Uh, Europe, obviously, it's a a um, satellite state, I would say, of the U.S. at this point. You know, they have no teeth. Uh, NATO has been humiliated in, in a way. like, And they've shown that they don't have the industrial capacity, right, to engage in a potential, you know, industrial scale war. We've talked about this in the past. And so... Why would a country that doesn't have nearly the resources of, you know, many others, uh, and, and truly, they, I do think they are, they have links to Iran, you know, and the Iranians themselves have a strategy there, because now they have a choke point. It, Iran can them, themselves, you know, choke the uh, Strait of Hormuz, right, like, and, and all that oil came into the rest, you know, of the world and just create damage there. And then now you have the other, you know, uh, strait uh, that that takes stuff to Europe, you know, it's not just about oil, it's about products being produced in, in other countries too. Um, and so why would the Houthis now, and, and I think this it, it shows that the world has changed, you know, that multipolar world, or at least like the hegemony of the U.S. is, is being broken in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, let's call it a ragtag just for, you know, for effect, group of uh, uh, military it, it, with cheap technology is creating this havoc. They're not invading anybody. Yemen is not invading anybody. They're taking over some ships and disrupting, you know, and creating an embargo on. on and so why now? You know, the, in and I I listen to people like uh, what's his name, Scott Ritter. So he, he keeps talking about you know the, the the shortfall in recruiting of the U.S. The U.S. doesn't have the, the bodies to go and invade any countries, you know, in, 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 in any countries that is not Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, in, you know, it, they don't have the resources. Uh, the, te- the technology that the U.S. is occupying, he talks about, is it, it, almost obsolete now because as we've seen in Ukraine, um, you know, drone technology is here to stay. And, you know, the U.S. is not the master of it. The U.S. hasn't had to employ this technology in real conflict or in the, and they're still trying to figure out how to defend stuff. Um, because one thing that I found out was that the Houthis during the conflict with the Saudi Arabians who happened to have the same uh, patriot, patriot missiles or whatever, I think the, the ones that are supposed to defend right from attacks uh, that Israel had, that the Hamas was able to, you know, uh, you know, attack and undermine so Saudi Arabia has the same technology, and the Houthis were also able to undermine their technology in order to do some damage 
to some of their infrastructure and to make to bring them to the to the table to talk to say hey oh wait a minute <laughs> maybe we should talk you know because they they had it in a, a significant embargo around Yemen and the Houthis with their inferior to, you know or their we think it's inferior right like because yeah. we often talk about aircraft carriers and you know intercontinental missiles and all this crap but the Houthis are doing it with drones that are way cheaper than every missile that the Israel is dropping on Hamas or not Hamas, uh, pal uh, pal the Palestinian civilians. And so again, the world has changed and that's why I, I find that argument very persuasive because again, here we have the Houthis creating havoc and, and a big headache for, for the US and its allies um, at the moment. I mean, if, I think your question doesn't have an answer that we can look at. I mean, the, if the question is, the, what what do the Houthis get out of this? I think though, I think our speculation here, well, my my speculate is that you you know Yemen is mostly supported by the Houthis. Like it, the the Yemeni people support the Houthis. Uh, they even they are under under the control of most of the way that the Houthis uh, govern uh, northern Yemen most of uh, Sana'a, the coastline of the Red Sea. And they have been battling for independence for a very long time. Um, I mean, it's even come up in debates. Like, I remember thinking about this uh, back when Bernie Sanders was talking about uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, USA providing weapons uh, to Saudi Arabia and, and support of the Yemeni people. That's when I, this started to come up for me, to be honest. And... I I just think that mm, I mean I don't I, I don't see the Houthis sending uh their a faction or a group of Yem Yemeni out there in Gaza or in Israel but I see it as mostly symbolic where countries who want to have their independence who have been fighting for their independence for a very long time such as the Yemeni have that's that's the solidarity that they provide uh, whether both of you agree with that that's the way i see it i i don't think they will go out there if you look at yemen and gaza it's even if it's closer right it's like quite far away from where they are for them to be extracting or to be support to be um sharing those resources that they 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 really need for themselves because it is a poor country as you said ken i i, I just wanted to say that so there is a war going on between Yemen and Israel, like because we we've talked about economic war as being like you know embargo as being an act of war in the past, and they in effect have an embargo on Israel, and and the, the geography is actually playing in their favor because Israel would have to fly all the way through Saudi Arabia, na navigate down the Red Sea, you know, in order to do any damage to Yemen, you know, or, or you know, or do pretend to do anything like they're doing to the Palestinian people. And so, I mean, I think that Germany are, are being very strategic, and I think this was their moment, you know, in in asserting some sort of control of that very important point in the global economy. Yeah, and I think I I think that it is the, the Houthis' willingness to do this is an indication of the weakness of the perceived weakness of the U S empire. Um, mm. an empire that has been able to exercise whenever it sends its carriers anywhere, 
everything shuts down, everyone backs off. That's not happening here. Um, and and in fact, when the U.S. the U.S. shot well, like with its helicopters recently, blew up a few Houthi um, vessels, killed ten Houthis, and the the Houthi has said, "You're going to pay for that. Like we're going to make you pay." Um, so they're not they're planning, and and that's when they did the the unmanned um, surface vessel, um, just to just to show that they weren't done. Um, so I do think it's very significant what they're doing. I also believe that this is largely something that the Houthis understand or believe that the future in the Middle East is not the United States. It's it's Iran and China um, and Russia. And I think I think they're there. That's the side that they hope to to gain pro- come to prominence with. And so I think that and it's interesting. I, I did find the read a little bit about their religion, um, which is a Shia religion, which, yes, the 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 and it and the the Yemen is, is has a Sunni majority. Seventy five percent of the people in Yemen are Sunni and only twenty five percent would identify as Shia. But the, the type of Shia is called Zaid, Zaidi Shia. Which is a little different, which is different than the Shia that's in um, in Iran, um, and even and even the the Houthis have even said that they don't really seek to rule all of Yemen because they don't think they can in terms of like it wouldn't even be fair. Um, but one of the interesting elements of their religion, and it's part of their religion, is it actually has it's it's a religion which actually historically says. That you have a duty to fight corrupt rulers, <laughs> which that's very interesting to me that there be a religion that actually, like that's a feature of the religion. It was well before the and the name Houthi comes from the family Al Houthi, which was which was which was very prominent and well known, and, and one of them got killed during the during the civil war in that country. Um, so uh, I think they're called Ans, Ansar Ansar Allah partisans of of God, um, uh, also, so Houthi and Ansar Allah is the same thing, but their type of religion is Zaidi Shia. So it's interesting to me that in their belief system, it would say we fight corruption. We fight, um, we actually do fight injustice at one level, you know, kind of, um, so, uh, I think that can feature into it, but by and large, I tend to think that what we are seeing are the actions of proxies, um, and the Houthis and are, I believe, Really acting as proxies for Iran and China and Russia in this in this region that doesn't dismiss it doesn't discount it. It just means that I don't ultimately believe that they're that they're they're the dog that's being sent to hunt, but the hunter is going to eat the bird, um, and the hunter is Iran and China and Russia. Um, and I just think that all these battles, to me, happening across the globe are going are largely going to be proxy battles because everything's being redivided up. And I know people think that the multipolar world is going to be a more peaceful world. It won't. It's going to be a world of proxies um, where each of these poles is, jo- is jockeying for position until one can push the other one up, you know, off the cliff. And again, that's that's just speculation on my part, but that's how I look at this. I think that's a very, like... Once you pan out, you know, like and and see the sequence of events, right? Like first Hamas, now yet you know, now Yemen, and you know, like the the logistical support and you know the financial support that they need to 
to some of the, the actions they've taken, it's um, it, to me it is evidence that you know they are proxies, but it doesn't mean the proxies don't have like any agency, right? Like, is that their cause aligns, or or at least the the, the people who are moving the pieces use their cause, you know, in order to get what they want, right? Like the, the movers and shakers of the world. And, and so, but when we get caught up, right, on, on like just the, the righteous, uh, the, the right of, of the Hamas and the Palestinians to fight back, we forget that, you know, there is a bigger game being played here and that all these causes are just part of the, of the global chessboard. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and also that when people were worried that Gaza, that when Israel went and attacked Gaza, it was going to become a regional war, it is becoming a regional war. This is evidence of this, and it's it and it it doesn't look to me. The U.S. actually moved like one of its carrier groups, the U.S. Ford or USS Ford, out, but I think that was in the Mediterranean. Um, they're they're keeping their ships in the Red Sea, as far as I know, and in fact, they're trying to draw more of Europe into the Red Sea, um, and so that's those are going to be targets there. Um, and I don't see the Houthis backing down anytime soon because I think, and I do think that the what the neocon neoconservatives that people are talking about, you know, the Don, John Bolton's who are saying we got to go after Iran and things like that, I think there's a there's a logic there because. They know that unless they start going after the people behind the people, that they're going to just get harassed. And 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 the U.S. is going to find itself. Look, the U.S. made a, a proxy of Ukraine to bleed Russia. Well, now Iran is bleeding United States. And that's what this is going to do. I don't think it's going to bleed it in terms of in terms of um, troops, but it will bleed it in terms of money and resources um, because these are very cheap. Uh, attack weapons that are being used to to threaten um, uh, U.S. stuff, and they and in order to block them, they have to throw up a lot of expensive missiles up into the air, um, and uh, so it's it's going to it's going to cost the United States a lot, and I think Iran knows that, I think China knows that, I think Russia knows that, and I think all those players are involved in the in the things that are going on here. There's also like underwater drones, so there's like. They can just send a swarm of drones to overwhelm the systems, and they all they need is like one or two, and like to make damage to a a, a billion dollar multi like multiple billions of dollar ships, right? Like a, a U.S. carrier, and, and so yeah, the cost is is significant, and you know, and it, 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 it might be very unpopular here too, right? Like when you see the the, the results that won't be there really. And so, yeah. Yeah, like, and one thing that, that the guy, uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, talks about, the aircraft carrier was a major feature of the World War II. But he thinks those things are done now. He thinks that as a, as in terms of being militarily important because of hypersonic missiles, because of drone technology, because of space war, essentially, he thinks the, it is, the, the aircraft carrier is, a, is, a, is a basically a, a weapon of the bygone era that looks big. But it's all it is is a is a very expensive um, piece of steel that's going to end up in the bottom of the sea. That's what Ukraine shown, I think, in in the mastery of Russians, uh, you know, in in using this technology that you're talking about that's cheaply made. Because for every, I guess, dollar spent, like Russia gets a lot more bang for their buck than the U.S. 
you know, where, you know, there, there is a lot of people making money here, but <laughs> what costs, you know? I think some people who understand that the U.S. and what Israel is doing in, in Gaza is wrong. Some of the folks are, are excited about what the Houthis are doing. And at one level, I do, I do think it's David versus Goliath. But ultimately, I still believe that what, we, what we're really watching is a widening global war. And it's just spreading over larger and larger sections of the globe. Um, and that is not an exciting thing because I think that inevitably leads to like much bigger conflagration, Conf a much bigger war, <laughs> World War III. Wasn't there uh, an Israeli uh, strike in Lebanon recently? Right. And then, yeah, that's in Iran, right? Two things. Um, I mean, there was a terror attack on the on the on the anniversary of uh, Qassam Soleimani, the dude who Trump blew up, the, the Iranian general that Trump was responsible for going after. This is the fourth year anniversary of his of his passing. And there were two, a terror attack there. People are wondering where that came from. And uh, like. I think it could be Israel. It could, you know, and um, a prominent leader of the Hamas was was um, blown up in Beirut, killed in Beirut. And that, again, these are all seen as provocations. And, and many people think that Israel's goal is to draw United States into a regional war and draw it into a war against Iran. So um, these things are happening. Western media is reporting that ISIS is claiming uh claiming the attack in iran which is very you know it's i mean it's possible because the u.s supported like i don't know the difference but in attacking the houthis the u.s and saudi arabia supported al-qaeda in the arabian peninsula so like the u.s has found itself at different times and israel has found itself at different times finding its own you know, extremist proxy to push its agenda. So I think it's entirely possible that a group like that was set in motion. But again, like that's how these folks are playing it. They're they're all finding their um, their little tools to 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 jab at each other. Um, so I I think it's entirely possible it could have been that group. But but I believe that group could very much be backed by Israel and by the United States. They did it in Syria and they did it in Yemen. I don't have much to add. I don't have much to add. I'm not sure if we should find a place to conclude. You know, I was thinking of what you said, Andy, though. Um, a lot of talk, very little show of, I'll just support, right, um, for Palestine. Um, I think of, as I'm looking at Kenny, sorry, I think of um, uh, Guatemala, you know, I think of um, Guatemala. They they condemned the the, the attacks on Israel, and and uh, and they're not going to cut their ties with um, Israel. And I think of my country, Mexico's playing, trying to play both sides, trying to be a neutral country, and at the same time, not wanting to halt the exports of security surveillance and the 
the diplomatic ties they have with Israel, which we have talked about Pegasus, the spy, the, the spy surveillance program here, in, I mean, here in Colombia, in Mexico. And then I, I think of, you know, the other countries as well, like, you know, El Salvador, which uh, Bukele has Palestinian roots to, um, he has those Palestinian roots, but he he's definitely backing Israel. Uh, you know, um, I think it was Chile and Chile that was recalling their ambassadors. But um, yeah, it's, it is a David and Goliath kind of situation. And I, I you know, I, I don't know the reasons why they, they will show and we speculated on why they would show their, or why would they do this now? Or why would they, they, they are right there at the very entrance of that port. So we'll see. I don't have much to add. Did you want to say something in the Orkin? All just interesting as you bring up a lot of these things in Latin America, the, the Houthis actually were quite outspoken. I don't know if they did anything beyond that of being against, um, the U.S. actions in Venezuela to take out Maduro. So that's interesting to me. Like the Houthis, oh. yeah, they had demonstrations in Yemen, Yemen, uh, supporting Maduro and opposing the what's 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 the name of that dude? Uh, opposing Guaido. Yeah, Guaido. Oh, being Guaido. Added, you know, so that's very interesting that that that's the position they took. And, yeah, and actually, like depending on. What continues to happen is I'm glad that you brought up Latin America. So I wonder, you know, like Latin America has been relatively peaceful in terms of these global dynamics, but it makes me think actually Venezuela, watch out because as like that area of, you know, the, the Middle East gets, uh, you know, more tense. Venezuela has the biggest untapped oil reserves in the world. And it's like right there from Miami, you know, and so I, I, I will say, Venezuela, watch out. Mm -hmm. And not just Venezuela, because Brazil also has discovered some, uh, some uh, reserves themselves uh, in, you know, mining. And, you know, we know that the Russians uh, have, uh, you know, their significant force in terms of mining in the world, right? And I know that the Canadians have a lot of their hands in Latin America. You know, they're the biggest miners in the fucking world. And so, as the world starts to get split up, you know, the, you know, because people keep thinking that the economic ties, right? Like this neoliberal idea that globalization will bring peace. Uh, I think these things are rupturing, you know, and more they're more and more evident. And so, you know, the fuckers, you know, sorry, uh, the people pushing for their green fucking revolution, they're gonna look at other sources, you know, less, less. Uh, challengeable if that's the word uh uh resources and the u.s thinks of latin america is backyard so i don't think it's gonna be left out of these conflicts you know a proxy because uh you know there, there is they have to find alternatives um and so i'll keep an eye on latin america and africa and it's in, you know it's well yeah and i can't speak to africa i channel because i'm here in Colombia, but you know it's interesting. Not it's not unanimous. They have very distinct, like Argentina supportive of Israel, and Brazil wants to be on both sides. Wants to try to do what Mexico's doing, be the neutral. And then Colombia just said, you know, we don't support genocide. And um, Petro, uh, Petro said it. Uh, we don't support genocide. And then that made Israel's 
response be like, well, we're going to stop these halting these security exports to Colombia for saying something like that. And then, you know, Honduras recalled their ambassador um, and uh, Chile recalled their ambassador. Colombia recalled their ambassador and uh, Bolivia uh, cut uh, altogether ties, diplomatic ties. So they, I don't know where Latin America will stand because it's so different now that you think of it uh, as you say we should keep an eye on Latin America. Where, where, are they, where are they going to be positioning themselves? I don't know. You know, it's not unanimous as I, I had thought. Well, I think what happens with BRICS and Brazil is going to feature large in that. Um, mm, yeah. And one other thing, just to be clear, because I know some people may disagree about me saying that the Houthis are a proxy for Iran and ultimately China. Um, uh, I, again, I don't know, but that's my take on it. But that does not mean that I'm that I am against what the Houthis are doing. Um, as, per, as, a, as a person in the United States who knows my government has to be taken down, I support any any power which which defeats the U.S. Army anywhere, um, because the the thing that's going to be necessary for part of what's going to have to happen for a revolution to happen in this country is our armies are going to have to be defeated across the globe, um, and that will create the possibility or another opening for taking our own government down, our institutions down, and so any defeat of the U.S. Empire anywhere is helps those of us who are fighting for you know, revolution in this country. Um, and that's, that's, so that, I just want to be clear that, that that's where I'm, where I fall on this. And again, I do, uh, just to quote again, Scott Rader, because, and I agree with him in this, like, and I think you all would agree that the U.S. is an empire in decline. They're not, they're, they haven't gone away. There's not, they're still a powerful fucking empire nation. You know, they still have tentacles, massive ability to do destruction, you know. And again, history, you know, shows us that empires, and we've I've said this over and over, die a violent death, you know. And and so, uh, you know, they're not just going to succumb, you know, to the back. So I'll be keeping an eye on what happens next, right, and, and how that... Um, unleashes chain of chains of a chain of events that I think you know has the possibility for ultimately the use of uh, destructive forces because I don't, I don't even think like it's just nuclear weapons which I, I do think is you know any anymore but it says seeing Ukraine <laughs> you know like what's happened there you know in the cost of human life seeing you know the Gaza and you know it's kind of a preview of these proxies that, again, I cite back the the Cold War. The Cold War was a violent period. It wasn't. It was. It, 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 it's, it's made to be like his, the way it's addressed in history, in at least here in America, is that it was a moment of tension. A lot of fucking people died during that period. A lot of destruction happened. You know, during that tension and, and wrestling. And, you know, with more technology, more destruction. And so, yeah. So I think it's, it's, it gives me reason for pause. Um, because you don't know, again, like I expressed to you, this whole Latin American thing. Uh, I don't think we're as safe, uh, you know, our people like are, are as safe uh, 
because they're not in the Middle East. Um, because I think there's a scramble going on. And, and and also people are having to choose sides or put chips wherever. And and ultimately violence is what underwrites the system. You know, it's it's not a position of a politician. You know, I, I don't see the world that or a symbolic gesture is is the ability to wield violence. The Houthis are showing it. <laughs> you know, and so we'll see what happens. All right. Okay. Is this a good place to end to yeah. conclude? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you both. Kenny, great to see you again. Nasi, I thought we were going to be here, the two of us, but I'm very glad you're here, Kenny. It was, especially with this topic. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. Um, what's left is the weekly political podcast that's channel challenge in the mainstream left. Post information about our topics and our guests in the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you heard here, please subscribe, rate, view, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on the Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Google Play, BitChute, obviously YouTube, uh, Rumble, Telegram, and you can find our blog and any of those links in the episode notes wherever you found this episode. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host Kenny Cepeda and Andy Lipson. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, one last thing I want to say is uh, uh, we have now uh, the Spanish language uh, podcast that we'll have in Que Queda de la Izquierda, What's Left in Spanish, which we'll be recording uh, soon for uh, our audience who want to have Spanish language content, uh, similar content, but different people and also uh, uh, challenging conversations, which Kenny is going to be on there as well as an invited guest constantly whenever he can, of course, when he's relieved of daddy duties. Uh, so we'll be uh, having uh, that this year. All right. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Ciao, ciao. And happy new year. Happy new year.